Hello and welcome to the Trinity News Podcast. I'm Finn Purdy. As we enter into a new academic year, we're going to be taking a look back at some of the big events that shaped the previous year in college, as well as looking ahead as best we can to try and imagine what this year might look like, despite the greater uncertainty than usual caused by coronavirus. In order to do this today, I'm joined by Trinity News Editor, Lauren Boland. Hi, Finn. And former editor of Trinity News for the 2019-20 academic year, Ashlyn Grace. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back. So we'll start with an issue that is at the heart of the student experience and for many years has been at the centre of student politics, that of accommodation and specifically the cost of student accommodation in Dublin and the rest of Ireland. In September of last year, a new campaign group formed on campus called Cut the Rent TCD. The group's central demand was a rent freeze for all Trinity-operated accommodation. The group gained some traction on social media and held a number of public meetings and direct action protests, although their ultimate threat of a rent strike on campus turned out to be an empty one, when they eventually withdrew from the plan, citing a lack of support. Elsewhere in Ireland, there was anger on a number of campuses following the decision of colleges to increase rent by 4%, the maximum allowed under new rent control legislation. A number of students held sit-in protests, even camping out on college lawns. Meanwhile, in Trinity, a couple of demonstrations were held, which blocked the main entrance to college for around an hour at a time. Ashling, I'll turn to you first. Did all this feel to you like the issue of the cost of accommodation was reaching a new peak of intensity and perhaps even approaching a tipping point where something might actually change? Or is this just the usual cut and thrust surrounding a topic which has for a long time been a contentious one? So in 2018, there was the Take Back the City campaign um, that erupted in the city centre. The movement occupied three buildings. They had sit-down protests in the city centre. And the campaign wasn't focused on student accommodation specifically. It was focused on the housing crisis in general. But students were involved in that movement. So some students were involved in the organisation of the Take Back the City campaign. Some students took part in the protests and the protests got a lot of support from students on social media at the time. Um, And as I said, it wasn't about student accommodation specifically, but I think it did spark a more urgent discussion around student housing as part of the wider housing crisis and uh, inspired a lot of students to take more direct action when it came to the housing crisis. So, as you said, those um, protests faded as they do and the group formally disbanded then in um, August of last year. But then, yeah, with the launch of the Cut the Rent campaign, I think that was an attempt to try and reignite that spark. Uh, and the Cut the Rent campaign and the uh, some of the protests that happened um, in other campuses across the country, I think were quite similar in spirit to the Take Back the City campaign. So with the Cut the Rent campaign, it was set up by a small group of students, um, not the SU and not established um, kind of student movement organizations. It was set up by a small group of students and they wanted to do more kind of radical, direct action that would get a lot of attention, be in the media, kind of shake things up. Um, so I think that's what it was. I think it was an attempt to try and continue that um, energy. Um, but I think after the Take Back the City campaign, 
that was really really a high point and since then there was definitely a kind of retreat I think a lot of people were really burnt out from that um I think last year was a lot more muted um and as for any kind of tipping point I mean I think with the pandemic the pandemic's so all-consuming now I think it's really taken the focus away from um kind of student activism and political struggle and political change in general um you know students are focused on keeping their families safe keeping themselves safe the restrictions also make things a bit more difficult you know when people aren't on campus and that kind of thing and I think it's really affecting people's mental health um so the cut the rent campaign they abandoned their plans last year as you said but they they talked about um you know, that they'd kind of set the groundwork last year and that they were going to try again this year. Um, And, you know, I don't know what you guys think, but I think it'll be a little bit harder now. Yeah, Lauren, I'll put that question to you, actually. Whenever Cut the Rent did end up abandoning their call for a rent strike, uh, whereby they would have asked students not to pay the second instalment of their year's rent, they did promise to be back advocating for the same thing a year later in January 2021. How do you think students might respond to the idea of a rent strike this year? So, so I think there'd be a lot of mixed feelings among students just because of the nature of this year and how radically things have been changed by COVID-19. Um, I think on the one hand, you have a lot of students who have found it very challenging to find accommodation this year because of our current circumstances. And students in that kind of position might be nervous to take any kind of radical action um, that could potentially put their accommodation at risk. Um, I think especially for international students, because there are a lot of international students living in halls or living in campus accommodation, which were the accommodation blocks that were being looked at by the Cut the Rent group for a potential rent strike. And um, particularly for an international student who has a, a difficult time trying to secure accommodation from abroad, I can imagine you might be quite nervous to take any action that could put that at risk. Um, So if the movement does launch another campaign for a rent strike, they might find it difficult to rally support from students who are worried and don't want to rock the boat this year. And understandably so, because Mm -hmm. of the precarious position a lot of students have been put in by COVID. But at the same time, what you also have this year is a lot of students who are very upset and very angry at the housing situation in Dublin. And so for those who are living in college accommodation, many feel disappointed by how college has handled accommodation this year. Um, We saw in the lead up to students moving into their accommodation that many felt their questions about moving in and other elements of accommodation weren't being answered. And also many who are feeling that the high rent costs for accommodation on campus or in halls are unjustifiably high in a year when the value that's associated with living in those locations from a social point of view is obviously quite diminished compared with previous years. Because for a lot of people, you know, the nature of living in campus or living in halls is that you are there with everyone else, you're there where your lectures are. um, And there's a big social element to that, which obviously this year with the restrictions that have been placed on accommodation um, and more generally, um, that's going to be quite limited this year. Um, So I think in terms of a rent strike, in any year, a rent strike is something that you would have some students supporting and then others who would feel that it was too drastic. And we saw that last year when the discussion was raised. Um, And I think that'll be the same in principle this year. But then I think that students 
will be paying more attention this year and more students will be paying attention this year and probably taking a stronger stance one way or another than they might have been in previous years. Sure, sure. So you've both sort of touched uh, on there the fact that everything's going to be different this year. So if we sort of take a step back from the accommodation issue specifically and look at activism and student activism more generally, Ashling, those the forms that that usually takes is marches and gatherings. We have to imagine that's all going to look quite different this year. Yeah, I mean, there's no precedent for what student activism looks like during this kind of um, national lockdown pandemic. Um, as for student protests and demonstrations organized by already established student organizations and like establishment student organizations like USI and VSU, uh, I predict they're going to lean on the very conservative side of things. Um, I don't see them organizing any kind of large scale um, demonstrations, you know, even if they're socially distanced, I don't see that happening. I'd say they might only organize some small scale, scale demonstrations um, where they can ensure that social distancing is being adhered to. So I guess the obvious one is the annual March for Education um, under different names various years, but generally uh, and for different causes, but generally it's for um, calling for increased higher education funding. So I'm sure that won't go ahead and uh, definitely be against the government's COVID mm. rules. So possibly the USI and SUs might kind of mark that occasion with smaller demonstrations, possibly where they have a lot of control over them and um, they can ensure social distancing. But um, the SUs and the USI tend to kind of lean on the sort of safe side of things in general. So I don't see any um, significant demonstrations or protests coming from them. Um, possibly, you know, they might kind of think more about sort of online activism or online um, awareness spreading around um, issues relating to students. But I don't see any significant demonstrations like earlier in the summer. If you remember the Black Lives Matter protest that happened in Dublin where thousands of people gathered. I don't see anything like that being arranged by any like established um SU, SUs or the USI or anything like that. Um, as for sort of activist groups um, cropping up, um, I think Lauren said something really interesting there, which is during the pandemic, we've had to experience so much change and so much upheaval that I think students are really just craving consistency and stability and certainty at the moment. And I think possibly that urge for radical change and that kind of demand for radical change possibly isn't in students the way it would be in a regular year i think students just want certainty at the moment um so that might lead possibly to a sort of quieter year uh, as far as student activism goes possibly this might be a time to build support for groups um online possibly so, you know, as we said, like Cut the Rent uh, had sort of parked their plans last year and were planning to sort of reestablish themselves this year and call for a rent strike. I mean, whether the rent strike will happen, I'm not sure about that, but this might be time to sort of build support for themselves um, on social yeah. media and sort of spread the word um, for a possible rent strike in future years on social media and sort of plant the seeds of that a bit more. Um, 
but yeah, I think the coronavirus has really taken the wind out of the sails of political movements at the moment and people are just focused on staying healthy and safe and protecting their families and staying sort of sane mentally at the moment. Sure. So Lauren, often at the head of these uh, student movements are the um, presidents of the student unions on campus. Uh, that's Trinity College Dublin Students' Union and the Graduate Students' Union. Uh, the current presidents are Owen Hand for TCDSU and Giselle Scanlon for the GSU. Um, I think it's fair to say that they don't actually share the activist credentials of some of their predecessors. So do you think that on a year when people are looking for less radical action, it might actually suit these couple of presidents? Yeah, I think so. Giselle in the GSU and own hand in uh, TCDSU, like the undergraduate union. I think they'll probably be a pair that will work well together and will probably take a similar approach. Um so say Giselle Scanlon, president of the GSU, she's been quite embedded in student life in her time in Trinity, particularly within the GSU. Say last year, she was the union's vice president. Before that, she was um, a part-time officer roles. Um, so she she knows how things work. So like she's no stranger to the union. She would have um, quite a strong understanding of how internal procedures in college work. And I think it's through those internal procedures that she usually looks to enact change. Um, I think she's a figure that a lot of officials around college would probably recognize by this point um, and respect. Um, like she's not, as I said, she's not the kind of traditional activist character you might've seen in previous years. Um, her approach seems very much to be to look for change from within by communicating with higher ups in college And it has seemed to be an approach that has worked for her on several occasions. And I think that's probably because she has garnered that respect from college staff, from being around for the last couple of years and being a face that um, they kind of recognise now. Um, And as for own hand then in TCDSU, um, he certainly was an unexpected candidate uh, in the elections for this year's sabbatical team. Uh, Not your typical activist figure. Uh, he has no previous experience in the union. Um, during our during the elections in February, in our interview with him, he described himself as quite apolitical outside of student politics, which would have been um, a distinct turnaround from presidents in previous years, um, and also set him apart from other candidates in the race for president. Um, but even though he was an unexpected candidate, he did prove quite quickly to be a popular one. So in our poll that we conducted of a thousand students before the voting started, uh, 49% said that they would give own hand their first vote in the president race. And he did end up winning then with on with just over 50% of the votes on that first count. Um, so obviously something about that kind of uh, platform that he ran on of the sort of um, the person who was new to kind of student um, affairs something about that obviously appeals to students and I think he kind of leaned into that persona of someone who was kind of new to campaigning Um, you know there was a protest on campus that happened during the week of the elections um, and he went to that and he made a point of it being the first protest that he had gone to and that's kind of the energy that he's retained so far since he took up the office earlier in the summer it's that persona of someone whose primary concerns are kind of around updating students with the latest information handling issues as they arise. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out now that students are kind of coming back to classes, back in accommodation, 
and whether there's any shift in the union's focus. Sure, sure. So shifting gear a little bit, uh, one big change in the world of higher education this year uh, will be the creation of a new government department for further in higher education, research, innovation and science uh, with Simon Harris, the former health minister uh, at its helm. Uh, so previously, higher education was within the remit of the Department of Education with a junior minister who had specific responsibility for universities and colleges. Lauren, have we seen any evidence of this new department with a high profile minister uh, having any real change? So from my perspective so far, working on the newspaper, in terms of the output that we're seeing from the department, I haven't noticed a, a remarkable change between how processes would have happened within the within the Department of Education compared compared to having a distinct department for higher education. Um, from my perspective as someone who's kind of reporting on what the department does. Um, but this was something I was discussing with uh, Professor Martine Smith, um, who's Trinity's new Dean of Graduate Studies, um, when I was interviewing her for an article that's going to be in our first issue this year. Um, and she had a really interesting perspective on it. So she was saying that she feels it kind of remains to be seen how effective the new department itself will be. Um, and that that hinges quite a lot on the stability of the current government. Because if a general election was to be called and a new government was voted in and they're looking at how they're going to structure their cabinet and their departments, obviously this new department could potentially be one of the first things to go. And so it would have had very little lifespan in which to do anything. But she also pointed out that by creating the department, the current government has pointed to third level education and research as things which are distinct um, from primary and secondary education that the Department of Education handles uh, and that they're things which have their own needs and kind of need individual attention. And by doing that, it makes it more challenging to ignore those needs because obviously once you've created the department, it is more difficult to to uncreate it or to... Um, or to set aside the motivations for why it was created in the first place and the needs that were identified that led to the creation of that department. Um, but I think I think next month with the budget will be the real test for what the, the, the department can do going forward. Sure, sure. Because, of course, the issue that looms large over the head of this new department is that of the funding question. Uh, so in 2016, a government commission report found that the current model for higher education funding to be unsustainable uh, but since then no major reforms have come through we've pretty much just been treading water uh, so Ashling, will budget day be the first big test of this new department um i think when it comes to the question about a desperately needed new higher education funding model i think this year is going to be a continuation of um the previous years where we're going to continue to tread water on that uh, I think with the virus, you know, this is such unprecedented times and everyone's focus is elsewhere. I don't think that we're going to be committing to um, this kind of long term plan for how to fund higher education this year. Um, I think the creation of the department does suggest that they're taking that more seriously, perhaps. So maybe, you know, next year or the year after. But I really don't see that coming this year. Um, but... So in July, there was 168,000 
uh, or million, sorry, euro package for supports for higher education um, and further education institutions and students to support the institutions during the coronavirus. So I'm sure that'll be, um, we'll be hearing about that again, uh, coming up to the budget, reminded of that coming up to the budget and possibly that'll be added to, but since it, since it is such unprecedented times, I mean, it's a bit hard to know. But I do doubt that um, any kind of long-term commitments will be made this year. Um, I think that the statements that Simon Harris has made about the department so far have been interesting and have pointed towards the plans for um, the department. So, you know, the, the department hasn't yet released their roadmap for exactly how the department is going to work and that kind of thing. But from the statements that Harris has made, we've been able to get a sense of the priorities of the department. And the thing that I've been really struck by is the emphasis on the economic benefits of higher education. That's been um, reiterated a lot by Simon Harris. So he's touched on... Um, you know, establishing more technological universities. So we saw the first technological university established recently. He's touched on possibly establishing more of them. STEM has also been mentioned many times um, by the minister. So it really seems like the department is going to focus on what will be um, most economically beneficial for the country when it comes to higher education. Um, which is quite ambitious. Now, obviously, all those things need a lot of money. They need to be funded. So, yeah, I mean, it'll kind of come down to how much money the department's willing to allocate to those things. Um, and possibly it might take next year or the year after to, to really get a sense of their long-term plans um, if the department kind of manages to last that long. Um, but it does point to a more, an increased focus on how higher education can benefit the economy. And it'll be interesting to see whether or not there's any significant um, kind of discussion or dissent around that in the higher education community. You know, there has, I haven't heard, heard any or heard much kind of musings on the more philosophical mm -hmm. benefits of higher education about um, expanding students' minds and having a more um, informed um you know citizenship i haven't heard anything like that so it's, it's it, they've got a really sort of economic focus and it'll be interesting to see whether um there'll be any sort of significant discussion on that approach going forward but it is it is hard to know at the moment i think you're right that that does raise interesting questions around kind of why um why we put a value on education but maybe also wider discussions in ireland at the moment around the role of the arts kind of in Ireland and in Dublin in particular, you know, uh, um, something, a topic that's been raised a lot over the last couple of years is the, um, the kind of the decline of uh, the, like nightclubs in Dublin and kind of cultures, cultural spaces in favour of spaces um, with more economic value like hotels. Um, and I think it's interesting to see that same sort of line of, thinking or approach to policy uh, crop up in other areas as well so in terms of what you're saying there of higher education um, and the kind of wider discussions in Ireland around what do we value and why yeah yeah mm. and I think possibly with the establish establishment of more technological universities and um, the minister has also talked about more funding for apprenticeships and that kind of thing 
where will that leave already established universities like Trinity, like UCD, like DCU? Um, you know, is there is there a possibility that they won't kind of be getting the funding that they're envisaging and instead that'll go to technological universities and that kind of thing? Mm. Could they be feeling left behind? Will that sort of um, emerge as part of the discussion around this department? You know, mm. that'll be something to watch out for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so throughout the uh, episode, we've been discussing how COVID is impacting everything this year. So Lauren, I'm hoping that we could just sort of drill down into some of the specifics of how the restrictions are going to impact students as they return to college. Could you just mm-hmm. catch up in terms of where the government guidance as it relates to Trinity currently stands? Yeah, absolutely. So over the summer, college was planning on implementing a blended learning approach. So that would have meant that large classes like lectures would be held online while you would have smaller groups like tutorials, labs, seminars, things that um, could be held more easily with social distancing in place or perhaps were um, or perhaps needed to be held on campus in the case of labs and things like that, that those would be held in person. Uh, now, in practice, when timetables did come out, um, a lot of students were seeing that the majority of their classes were online. Um, so there were already kind of questions, I suppose, raised around that. Um, but with the current restrictions that have been brought in now, all of that has gone out the window. So at the moment, as we're recording this episode, the plan is that um, for the next several weeks, Dublin is under level three restrictions, while most of the country is at level two. So what that means for Dublin is that uh, people are being asked to reduce their social contacts along with other restrictions in place on movement around the country and on uh, businesses in Dublin. Um, So Simon Harris, who's the Minister for Higher Education, as we were talking about, um, he's asked colleges in Dublin to reduce the number of students on campus uh, in order to minimise the risk of COVID spreading. So what that's meant for Trinity, how that's kind of come to play out is that for the first few weeks of the semester, any in-person teaching that was taking place, um, which isn't deemed to be absolutely essential to take place on campus, has been moved online. So most courses um, in the arts, humanities and social sciences, uh, essentially all of that has moved online now, whereas previously you might have had uh, uh, a few in-person sessions. Um, And then over on the other end of campus for the health sciences and for courses like engineering, maths, sciences, um, some in-person teaching is continuing for those for laboratory uh, sessions, practical learning settings, um, because some of those are required for professional accreditation that you need at the end of those courses. Um, Activity on campus will be limited, but it won't, we won't be returning Certainly at the moment with how the plan is, the plan isn't to return to what it looked like in March with the full shutdown. Um, The library is still going to be open. Um, The buttery is going to be operating a takeaway service. So there is still some activity, but it's certainly quite different to what we would be accustomed to in a usual year. And it's also different to what college was planning for throughout the summer. Yeah, sure. So finally, Ashlyn, uh, we've now witnessed college respond to outbreak, lockdown, reopening and the sort of weird in-between world that Lauren's just laid out there. Um, Are we experiencing a college machinery that is, in fact, much more agile and fast moving than we previously thought? 
or um, have some of the mistakes and confusion of last year outweigh the positives? I think it's been a mixed bag. Um, I've been struck by how late in the day Trinity has been to announce major aspects of how college is going to operate this year and how late in the day Trinity has been to give students basic information um, that they need to know about this academic year. So I think most notably is probably the timetables. Um, the timetables are a bit messy um, every year and they're often very slow to come out for some departments. Um, but obviously this year was different and students really wanted to know what the academic year is going to look like for them as far as you know, students from beyond Dublin, students from other countries wanted to know whether it was going to even be worth moving to Dublin, whether it was going to be worth um, paying hundreds of euro a month in rent uh, to live in Dublin to be able to attend their, attend their classes. And I think because of that, um, students really wanted their timetable earlier this year. I mean, every year there's always, um, uh, you know, some outrage <laughs> around the timetable. But I, but I think this year, students really wanted to know far in advance um, what their academic year was going to look like. And Trinity, Trinity didn't adapt to that new reality at all for students. Um, the timetables were still really late uh, coming out this year. And as far as I know, some people still don't have their full timetables. Uh, and I saw a lot of students complain on social media that they've already taken out leases. They've already paid hundreds of euro um, in rent money, only to find out that, first of all, um, their class they were going to have say one class or two classes in person a week and now with this lockdown they won't be coming in at all um, so I think that made a lot of students unhappy I think that was a way in which Trinity didn't adapt to the current situation and didn't adapt to the needs of students um, at this unprecedented time and I don't think Trinity was particularly honest either with students about what to expect um, they made a lot of very optimistic noise or not a lot. So there wasn't a whole lot of communication, but they made some optimistic noises during the summer about what students could expect as far as their class timetable. So they said that all students would be having um, some in-person classes. And it did sound like all students would be getting, you know, like a like a noteworthy amount of um, online classes. And that hasn't been true Um for a lot of people some people have one class a week the odd department has no classes um in person a week um so i yeah i don't think trinity was particularly honest uh with students about what they could expect from um from the year yeah i completely um, agree i think a lot of the communication um was quite striking and just high optimistic it sounded um i feel yeah, like college yeah. does have like a vested interest in putting out those noises exactly. because they don't want people to defer and they do want people to apply and still pay their fees. Um, exactly. Do you think it's more down to that or was there some naivety as well mixed in there? I know. I, th <laughs> I think it was quite, I think they kind of, they knew what they were doing. And I think a, a question, um, you know, obviously they still wanted people to rent on campus because that is a, you know, a significant source of income for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think if students, you know, had known that they were going to have so few and now a lot of them no classes uh, for the foreseeable future in person, maybe a lot less students would have um, rented accommodation on campus. I have seen people complain about that on Twitter as well, that they've paid for on campus accommodation and now aren't going to be in 
at all for the you know until um October and then maybe one or two classes a week so I think student I think Trinity was very conscious of the um potential for them to lose a lot of money if they were as um maybe honest as they should have been about what students could expect um another thing that also struck me so there was a report from the Irish Times um in September that early in September college staff had met to discuss the possibility of a self-testing system on campus um and the Irish Times had said that um so key information about how that plan would be paid for or what type of testing would be used none of that had been identified yet um and that college was then again going to be meeting in late September or in another point in September to discuss that further and that really struck me as very late in the day to be discussing such a major um testing system on campus you know that's something that you would have expected to be in discussion earlier in the summer i mean by like certainly may june we knew that this was going to be something we would still be dealing with by the you know coming up to the end of the year at the very least so that struck me as something that should have been that you would have expected to have been discussed a lot further or a lot sorry a lot earlier in the year um and you know but at the same time i guess the fact that they're even considering the self-testing system is you know that would obviously be of benefit to students and the fact that trinity is being as ambitious as they are in that system in the possible establishment of that system is a positive positive. Um, i just thought it seemed quite late in the day to be thinking about something that major i think also though with um with what students wanted from college i think a lot of that did come down to the departments as well and from individual lectures i think students really wanted to know what they could expect from their specific school and from their modules um and a lot of that yeah just comes down to individual department staff and from what from my experience and what i've um seen on social media and you know from the discussion around how college is opening i think a lot of people have been dissatisfied with their actual their their department's reaction um to the virus departments have been quite slow to let their students know about what they can expect from um their classes so you know i think it's been a mixed bag i mean campus has also i think trinity has also made significant steps to ensure that campus will be safe and i think that's been something that was really on students mind earlier in the summer and I think that Trinity did make the necessary steps to reassure students that they would be relatively safe on campus. Uh, I think a significant one was that college is now going to be closed off and has been for the whole summer. It's been closed off to everyone other than staff and students. I think that was a really significant one. It was really of concern to students that tourists were wandering around campus. you know in sort of february and march and the fact that trinity was announced that quite early that uh campus would be closed to everyone other than staff and students i think that was really reassuring now as far as i'm aware people will be able to visit tourists will be able to visit the book of cows and that's that i I mean not under level three but when that lifts as far as i know that will still be in place although tourists will be led yeah to the book of cows so i mean that's you know people have varying opinions about that but 
I think with the closure of campus, other than for staff and students, having a lot of classes online, social distancing in the library, mandatory face masks um, inside campus spaces, um, the establishment now with the help of the SU and the GSU um, of social spaces on campus. I think that's that's a positive. Uh, I even saw the other day that the Buttery announced that they're going to be reducing their prices for students, be 50% off students. And I'm sure that was college thinking that they're trying to reduce students moving outside of campus during the day and eating outside of campus. I mean, even that's, you know, a positive move. So I think it's been a mixed bag. I think Trinity were very slow to communicate with students about what they could expect. And I think that that, that slowness uh, in some respects was on purpose and they were considering their own financial interests. But at the same time, I do think that they have made the necessary steps to ensure that campus will be safe. And I think that's what students really wanted as well from Trinity. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you to Ashling and Lauren, and thank you for listening. We'll have a new episode with you soon.